Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. Real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Let's join our hosts, Phil Dark and Kelly Stewart. Hi, and welcome to episode 13 of the Think Orphan podcast, where we seek to help you navigate the orphan crisis with experts from around the world. Phil, today we are tackling a new issue. Why don't you tell us a little bit about our guest? Yeah, today we get to hear from Ashley Bryant, who's the president of Three Strands Global. It's a great organization here in California that is uh, educating, it's equipping, it's doing uh, engaging work with people, um, not only here in California, but around the world. And I just really look forward to to introducing people uh, to Ashley, who is a good friend of mine here uh, in Folsom and who is a woman with a whole lot of wisdom to share with us. That is definitely one thing. After 12 episodes, I am equally impressed with each guest and the wisdom they bring and just the intelligence and the knowledge that they have in in dealing with uh, the orphan crisis and how they're each in their own ways attacking those um, who are in in those areas of the orphan crisis. Yeah, and, and I too, I, I mean, I know most of these people personally, and to really sit down with them, though, it just brings a completely different side of them. Um, often, I hear things that I hadn't heard before, and it's it's so encouraging to me, and it's also something I am learning a ton from, and I hope everyone out there is learning just as much as I am. But one thing that, uh, you know, I've been a little, um, I don't know if disappointed is the right word, but I've, I think that there's something that can make this podcast so much better, and that is more engagement from you, the listener, to really uh, be able to ask us questions and comment on these things, to let us know uh, whether this is the material, this is the information that you want to be hearing, whether there's things that really, you know, you're not quite sure about, and you want to ask us or some of the guests these questions. Uh, I invite that from you, and it's something that we need to make this as best as it possibly can be. And the other thing that we've talked about before is rating it and reviewing it on iTunes is something that really gets it out to more and more people, as does sharing it on your uh, social media and through emails and just word of mouth. So that's something that I really hope will happen more and more as we get this out there to more and more people, because I really do see the the impact it is having on the people that I know have listened is something that is super encouraging to me, and I hope we can just continue to impact more and more people uh, as we get more and more of these episodes out. Absolutely. We love hearing from you, our listeners, and also just want to give you a brief um, understanding that today's podcast is dealing with sex trafficking. And so if you are listening with your little ones around, just be aware that some words might come up that they might question or or not quite understand. And so just as a parent, just to let you know those things uh, before you listen. So let's get to the interview. Ashley, it's great to have you here today, and it's exciting for us because we got you actually here in the studio, which we don't get to do very often. It's great to be here, Phil. Thanks so much for inviting me. Well, Ashley, uh, you know, I've gotten to know you over the last few years, and it's been such a great blessing for me, but I, I, I know that most of the people um, listening in today really don't know who you are and don't know a lot about Three Strands. Could, can, can you just share a little bit about your story and how you got to be where you are today? You bet. Absolutely. So my name is Ashley Bryant. I'm the president and co-founder of Three Strands Global, um, and really my story um, goes back to um, two different places. Um, one is um, in China in 2001 when we adopted our daughter. Um, we were there in um, Guangzhou and Changsha 
um, and our gotcha day was passing and, and we were touring China. And in one of the times when we were out and about investigating this beautiful country, we had a, a woman who came up to us in our group with our 10 families and 10 new babies that we had adopted um, with her probably eight or nine year old daughter. And um, she was very verbal in talking to our guide. And um, as she was conversing with her, really kind of they were shouting at one another. I remember thinking I wasn't sure what was happening. And later when I was downloading with May, who was our guide, she was sharing me that it was a woman who was trying to sell her daughter to us. And um, and she was quite um, ashamed in that place and tearful. And so we just sort of talked through it. But the idea of someone selling um, their child um, or selling anyone for that matter was um, that concept, I think, happens overseas, maybe in China or Cambodia or Thailand. So it was my sort of first interaction with um, live, you know, that happening. And then in 2008, um, my good friend's daughter was taken locally from um, the parking lot of a grocery store in Eldorado Hills. And um, really the, um, that person who is the, in, the, in the parking lot with my friend's daughter was a trafficker. And there were lots of high schoolers in that parking lot at the time. And um, he just befriended the, all of the kids and um, found out who's most vulnerable in that population. And so um, eight years ago, he took her from that parking lot and um, he raped her at his parents' house. And then after that, he sold her on Craigslist um, to a trafficker in the Bay Area. And um, after eight days of being trafficked multiple times a day, was rescued by the FBI as well as um, the county sheriff. And that really opened uh, my eyes again to um, this topic of human trafficking and, um, and specifically sex trafficking in this case. Um, and what was it and how was it happening here domestically? And that's something a lot of people really don't understand and don't don't even know about that it is right in our backyard as well. And I know that uh, you had started from that an organization called uh, Run for Courage mm-hmm. uh, a few years back, and that that's kind of gone through some different. Uh, it's morphed into different uh, organization titles and names, but it's it basically was doing the same thing uh, over the last few years, and then recently you've you've. Uh, come in to be part of Three Strands as well. Can you just share that story and, and from Run for Courage to Three Strands and, and really how all that came to be? Yeah, you bet. So after um, after the trial was done and, um, and the perpetrator, trafficker, was sentenced to 12 and a half years in prison, there were four of us, um, including um, my friend whose daughter was taken, who sat around my kitchen table and just felt like we needed to do something, that this um, was happening in our backyard and that we weren't um, really aware of it was something that we needed to be able to um, do something about. So we started um, a nonprofit called Run for Courage, and that very first race actually was be seven years ago in Folsom, California. Um, and the race was really to raise the level of public awareness of this issue um, so that we could um, have others understand the reality of what we were learning was happening in and around um, our communities. So that um, nonprofit continued um, and really it was about raising awareness as well as raising funds through five and 10K races. And we had walk runs um, all over um, in Folsom and Oakland and then um, expanded to San Diego. 
And as we had those those events, those runs, um, we're raising money to um, really the profits were to go to benefit restoration and recovery of victims of human trafficking. So we were vetting organizations um, that were doing both recovery and restoration. Um, and that cycle was monitoring and, and then donating um, to those organizations. So every year there were um, lots of organizations along the field um, that would be able to come and the runners be able to meet. And then we would um, then, then at the end of the year, we'd be able to give back um, to those areas. And as we were growing um, city to city, we also realized that um, that there were lots of different nonprofits doing lots of great work. And one of those nonprofits was Three Strands and Ken Peterson, the founder, one of the founders of Three Strands and I met and had a great conversation about what Three Strands was doing. And they had the model of awareness like we did, but they also had the model of employment. Um, and so in, um, in this time of um, really a lot of nonprofits in this space, Ken and I talked about how could we do this together? Um, what is it that we could do to make it so that we came together and could fight this fight um, as one? So um, we, you know, the awareness was the overlap. The employment was the bracelets that they were um, selling um, domestically and online as well as tabling events. And, um, and then the other piece that we'll go into, I know later that we were doing was education. We can go into that in a little bit, but anyway, we took both organizations and merged them together to become three strands global. Um, and we really wanted to make sure um, that as we merged the two organizations, that the brand of the bracelets continued. So um, we thought that it best to keep the name three strands, but added the global because now it was not only an international um, fight, but it also was a domestic fight too mm -hmm. with, with the work that we had done here on the awareness side as well as the education side. So um, we just, yeah, so three strands global is what we became. And that really came into effect um, in January of last year. Yeah, Nev, I assume you've always been a collaborator. I mean, even going back what you said, Run for Courage existed really as a collaborative tool to be able to fund and help resource other organizations. It wasn't about self-preservation of some something that you were doing. Um, and I, I know that um, just by talking with you, that Three Strands Global has really, after the collaborative, you know, uh, move you made to say, let's merge, it's really has created synergies. And can you just speak to a couple of the ways that not only has it made, you know, you guys be able to, you know, share resources, but you've actually become stronger and done things you never could have done individually because you came together. Absolutely. Part of, um, as as Run for Courage, and actually we renamed, like we kind of, we renamed it Break Free. Um, and let me just touch on that. And then I'll talk about the synergies with Three Strands. But we renamed it Break Free. When we were in the classroom, we were delivering education and Run for Courage education just was sort of, you know, sort of mm -hmm. didn't really mix. And so Break Free education really stuck. So we renamed um, the programs Break Free programs. And so there's Break Free Runs and Break Free Education. The synergy that happened after merging with Three Strands was to be able to look and strategically look down the line at and where do we want to be in five and ten years. And that collaborative effort of who we are as, as founders, really, um, we wanted to continue. So, you know, standing on that, that foundation of collaboration and looking at where we wanted to be in education, where do we want to be in employment, where do we want to be in engagement or awareness. Um, we were stronger together. 
as we looked at that because of that foundation of collaboration in both of our spaces. So for example, um, as we look at employment, well, one of the strongest partners of Three Strands is AIM, Agape International Missions. Um, we're able to employ um, those survivors who have been restored and recovered at the AIM facility. And we're able to do that in other countries too. And so that collaborative effort and employment along with what um, Break Free or Run for Courage brought to the table made it so that we could continue that effort and look strategically beyond and say, how can we really impact this fight um, in a collaborative way and, and pull our resources together, but also our minds together around the strategy of what does that look like? Um, the other piece of um, really where the synergy um, came together on that foundation of collaboration is in education. You know, we have been in the in the classroom educating ninth graders since um, 2011. Um, we have systematically done that with this break for education for um, in 13 different counties in California, um, really making sure that ninth graders understand the tactics of traffickers, but also that we're reducing the vulnerability of kids in general of not only being traffickers, but also being victims of being buyers, right, in that whole space, really reducing the exploitation. Um, and so with the synergy of the organizations coming together, education became um, really powerful in that we knew we could even step into other places to collaborate with others. So Break Free Education has existed and will continue to um, exist, but we've also been able to collaborate with two other nonprofits, Frederick Douglass Family Initiatives and Love Never Fails, to offer a new statewide program called Protect that's for fifth grade, seventh grade, ninth grade, and eleventh grade. So those synergies of collaboration you see in multiple places within Three Strands Global because of of our coming together. Yeah. And I know you've been able to collaborate with me as well in uh, the classroom at William Jessup University. So to be able to have some of the um, educators come in and help with the, the, at the college level as well. So it's definitely been a great uh, encouragement to me to see that and to see how, you know, in this age of, you know, way too much competition amongst uh, seemingly like-minded nonprofits and other organization to see organizations come together and have it really work in a way that, uh, again, has been been really encouraging um, to me. Who I just am a collaborator at heart, so it's been great. Um, so thanks for that. Oh yeah, you're welcome. It's it is it is exactly where I I think that's why you and I. You know, we really um, that piece of collaboration we agree on so much that it is it is vital for us to really make an impact. Impact happens when there's collaboration. Well, you touched on a little bit the three uh, E's of three strands, and the, and I just want to kind of go a little bit deeper into each one. Um, so the first E is employ, mm-hmm. and can you just share uh, what three strands is doing globally? Um, uh, to employ and how that fits into what you're doing in the bigger picture. Yeah, absolutely. So when you think about human trafficking, um, and I would say that the continuum of care, right, or even the continuum of, or the life cycle of human trafficking, there's we see it in this circle where prevention would be one portion, a fourth perhaps, and then there would be um, recovery, and then there would be re, um, restoration, and then there'd be reintegration. So when you think about employment, it's really the reintegration piece um, of the continuum of care because they have been re- recovered and restored, and then it's to empower and to reintegrate them into society and their lives where they can 
do and be what God wants them to be. Um, and so in that space of employment, it is offering um, jobs to those who are survivors um, overseas. And we do that in Cambodia and, and Nepal and Haiti and India. In Nepal and Haiti and India it is those at risk um, for trafficking. And in Cambodia, they're the survivors of human trafficking. So really in that space, employing those um, women in this case overseas um, so that they can have funds and, and a, a livelihood um, that they can do what they want to um, and raise the families that they want to and, and make the choices that they want to and really have that freedom in that space um, is the employment. And then the other piece of employment, um, which is here domestically, is we are partnering with organizations to employ here those who are at risk or those survivors. Um, and we're really proud and we'll be announcing actually in June um, partnerships where we're doing that here locally too in Sacramento um, because employment is that launching off pad um, for freedom in that space once um, someone has been um, unfortunately taken and trafficked or um, or lured and coerced mm-hmm. and manipulated um, that we want them to be recovered, restored, and then to be reintegrated in a way that, that they can live their own lives right. and make their own choices. And that's so critical because, uh, you know, I've been able to actually see the the place in in Cambodia where where the survivors are working and just talking with people on the ground doing this work every day it's so hard for us to fathom here in the US that somebody would would actually choose to go back into the the hell of a brothel but so often these women have nothing else they know nothing else and if they don't have a job that's really what what a lot of them will just end up doing because it's what they know. And I assume you've seen the same thing in the, in, in, in to hear about it domestically as well. The unemployment rates going up and these women, they, they don't have that dignity often because they see, they hear the lies that are fed to them when they're in these brothels, when they're in these trafficking situations. Well, and it's such an onion layered effect. I mean, there's so much that goes into, I mean, you and I've had these great conversations um, about, you know, where and how did this begin? And part of, I'm so feel very, very fortunate that I've had the opportunity to actually talk to traffickers that are incarcerated and understand, you know, how did this happen? And, and to look at the exploitation that happened in their lives um, and, and that um, abuse and neglect that really put them into a place of, um, of being exploited and then becoming exploiters themselves, right? So there, it isn't, um, people often say, well, you know, there's a choice. You know, when you get to that place, sure, there may be a choice because there's no food. There may be a choice because there's no roof overseas. There may be a choice because the, both those things exist here domestically too, but there's, it's a layer of exploitation and, um, um, and trauma that has happened to these individuals that we need to understand um, and, and not judge right? Um, so that we can really help to be able to be part of the solution and make an impact in that place. And that brings us to the second E, actually. I mean, you've been able to learn so much. As you said, you've had some just incredible exposure to people that most of us will never um, be able to talk with. And quite frankly, most of us would choose not to, even if we had the opportunity. But you've sat in prisons talking to traffickers. You've sat in different forums and different conferences and different things, learning from people who are doing this work and thinking about these things every day. You've been able to bring that into an education forum um, like you said earlier uh, today, just at, at elementary schools, junior highs, high schools, and not just, we're not just talking, you know, private schools, we're talking public schools. And so 
how, how have you gotten into that? And then what does the education piece of Three Strands actually do day in and day out? Yeah, you bet. Um, the education piece from the very beginning of when, um, 2011, when we were out in the schools doing awareness events after school, really resonated with me. My mom's a teacher, 35 years. And knowing the survivors we had talked to, they talked often about if I'd understood what was happening in, through the manipulation and if I'd understood the luring or the tactics. And it just really came to me that um, I sensed there needs to be education. And so getting into the schools has been paramount for us um, because it is in that continuum that I just explained. It is that first piece. If we can prevent it from happening in the first place, we will have done an amazing job of making an impact in the lives of our youth. So um, ninth grade is where we started um, and we've educated almost 20,000 ninth graders um, in and around these 13 counties in California, but really diving in, having good discussion with them. And you're right, you know, having the opportunity to sit with um, those who have been incarcerated for this, it has helped me and our whole education team be able to deliver um, a product to these students in the schools that um, is really um, crossing T's and dotting I's and being sensitive to that we're trying again to reduce the vulnerability of kids um, from being traffickers, from being victims, and from being buyers. Because um, then we'll really turn the ship around. I talk about it. Um, but also the piece that we're launching um, statewide is Protect, which is 5th and 7th and 11th grade too. Really looking at in that 5th grade place, we don't even use the term human trafficking. It is about who are safe people and what are safe places mm -hmm. and what does it mean to be human and what are human rights and who are people in your life that um, are that are famous that you know about that have done great things. And then we go back and look at what were they doing when they were 10 years old and being able to really give them that pathway to see um, the potential of who they may be because of all the people, both survivor, those incarcerated, um, teachers, Teachers, students that I've talked to, one of the things that I think our youth can get stuck in sometimes is being in that place right then and there and not being able to see outside of themselves over the potential of who they can be. Mm -hmm. um, and so talking to them and really helping them understand that this is not where you'll always be or rest, but that the potential of what you can do and be is far greater. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's what no, it that's so good, and I think that the it, it really comes down to identity, right? It's it's identity issues that so much, so many of us struggle with adults as well as the the children, especially in today's culture. I hope you remember this story that you had told me, and it was when you were talking with those uh, those men in prison, mm -hmm. and you had shared a story. I believe it was a friend of yours, but it was some it was a girl that was waiting at a bus stop. And she was trafficked and she was wondering why she was trafficked. Can you share that story of what the guy said to you and how it just really impacted you? I know it impacted me when you told it to me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, some of the first, I want to talk about the prisoners. They these prisoners who I've had the opportunity to interview sometime when I first went into prison to interview them, I was, you know, all righteous and I'm going to ask hard questions that just understand all of these tactics. And there was that anger, you know, and that I felt was justified. But let me just really be clear that those men have been amazing at being able to lay out for me and others, um, not only their lives so that we can have an, a great empathy for what they have gone through and that they are hurt people who've hurt people but also um, that they are part of this solution and want to be part of the impact, not because they have anything to gain from it at all, but because they want to be able to make sure that others 
are not trafficked as well as other traffickers don't become traffickers. So I want to make sure and preface because that's so important for me. Um, But in that story, it was um, a young 16, 17 year old teen who was standing on the street with a bunch of friends and a limousine came driving up and um, the person inside the limousine was dressed really nice and had um, you know all sorts of um, things in the limousine of fun and party and it was going to be a great time and and it was asking um, this you know young 16 17 year old would she like to be able to be a part of that and it was great and you know come with me and um, and she was ready and and willing as she stood there to go um, into the car and one of her friends grabbed her her shirt in the back and said don't go he's a Pimp, um, and a term that is often, you know, is used for trafficker. And she kind of was taken back a little bit. And so as we were talking with the prisoners and, and she was specifically asking why, you know, why is it that you, you sort of zeroed in on me of all of the kids that were in this, um, this group, um, you know, what was it about me that stood out, um, of the group of kids? And, um, the person, the prisoner said, well, what were you wearing? And she said, what do you mean? What was I wearing? And he said, well, what, what did, what were you wearing? She said a t-shirt and jeans. And he said, yeah, well, that you were what we call a square. So you stood out because the rest of the kids who are around you may have been dressed in maybe designer clothes or things that look like they had sort of what they needed from a social worldly perspective and you didn't. And so you were the one that was targeted. That vulnerability piece of what stands out in a crowd is what would be targeted. Um, and he was very open and honest. And, and it was for her, I think, oh, just and all of us, that pause of, wow, it really is about vulnerability. Um, and which if we think about the education piece, it's why then is the um, mission of the education to protect um, and to reduce vulnerability? It's because of that. Right. 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 No. And I think that's so great. And that's the type of stuff that you're able to educate these, these children who many of whom are, are living in the suburbs and thinking that they're invincible and they can walk anywhere and do anything. Um, but it really does bring into focus the vulnerability that, that, you know, is out there, you know, and, and, and I want to segue into a, into something um, there on, you know, as, as this is the Think Orphan podcast, and a lot of people see trafficking as a separate silo, so to speak, from, you know, traditional orphan care. But I've always said it is intimately and interconnected and connected, and it's virtually, it is one and the same. And um, can you speak to that a little bit as far as the interconnectedness as you're educating the students, um, but how the vulnerable, how the orphaned are often the victims and why that might be? Yeah, absolutely. We know that those who are at risk, um, those who are vulnerable, um, and there's all sorts of ways that youth can be vulnerable, right? It could be that they're in foster care. It could be that they are um, have identity, right? There's a definite identity issues or self-identity um, that they don't have a real strong identity. There could be their size. It could be their family composition, right? There are lots of ways that they're vulnerable, but one of those areas that we know are those who are in um, foster care or those who are in CSEC um, are at risk, a higher risk. Um, and we know that from the traffickers, but we also know those from who are recovering and restoring um, these children. And so as we look at those who may have been um, orphaned or those who may be um, in you know, foster care or in um, group homes, those are uh, the, the targeted, the, what, what's a trafficker, and I'm quoting a trafficker, would say is easy pickings or low-hanging 
hanging fruit. Mm. Um, and that, that just pains me to say, and it just pierces my heart. And um, because for me, I think that, you know, that's one of the reasons why education is so important. So we make them less vulnerable. Um, but that's, that's the reality. And so we need to be able to, as we look at, again, the strategy of what are we going to do to make it so that this stops happening? We have to go back to the beginning and see how those are, those youth or those young ones are vulnerable and being orphaned is one of those, those that, that makes them more vulnerable. Um, and it doesn't make, you know, like wide sweeping generalization. It doesn't mean that they'll be trafficked, but a higher percentage will be. We know that. So to prevent as much as we can, you know, to come in and, and to educate and to, as you talked about, to teach and train up on the identity and to train up on who they are so that they don't see it as a, you know, orphaned is really a descriptor, but orphan is a stigma and an identifier and to not go into that identifier, but to say, yeah, you have a reality, but that's not who you are. Exactly. Absolutely. And that's so important part of it in that younger grade curriculum, as we go through the fifth and seventh grade, we know that in fifth grade, it is all about who's safe, right? Those safe people. It's sort of that seventh grade is internal identity. Who am I? Mm. So in that place, we're saying, Hey, you're a masterpiece. And, and what is that masterpiece? If you could draw, for example, a mansion that was your mansion that described who you were, what would it look like? And, and what are those rooms? And so what would the front yard look like? And giving them into that place of creating an identity that's inside, but externally too, they could sort of do and trying to help them understand the importance of who they are um, and that they um, understand their value and their worth, um, because that is that is paramount to reducing the vulnerability of our youth. Yeah, and I know that you you do your education here in California. And if someone's listening in Iowa or Ohio or somewhere else, can they get in touch with you and have you know share resources with you? Yeah, absolutely. So part of what we're doing, the Break Free Education ninth grade curriculum um, exists and will continue to exist. But Protect is this multi-grade curriculum that's being launched. And um, so we're starting in California. We actually have a pilot um, in five counties here in California for those four grades. Um, and Break Free Education will continue to be not only in California, but elsewhere. We actually certify and train educators and then they can go into the classrooms in ninth grade. Um, so that opportunity exists. Um, we're actually with protect it's actually teacher driven so we actually train teachers in counties and then teachers deliver this education which is a far more scalable model um, my great great grandchildren will be doing break for education in ninth grade if we continue on that model which um, is why we've really um, really collaborated in this space with um, the other two nonprofits to to provide protect to the state of California and the counties um, so that we can make this um, multi-grade and the teachers who see their kids day in and day out um, will have a greater um, opportunity as they are trauma-informed to identify themselves um, where who those kids are that may be more at risk and that they could actually be able to report if they, um, when they're mandated reporters, so that makes it easy too, um, but be able to report if they actually um, see the red flags for this happening. And how can people uh, find Three Strands online or otherwise get in touch with you? Yeah, absolutely. It's Three Strands, and it's the number three, strandsglobal.com. Um, and then they can find and see, they can go and find out about education as well as they can shop and see um, the employment story as well as the engagement story. We have here locally, I talked about those runs in the very beginning. There are break-free mm-hmm. runs now. In September 24th here in Folsom, we'll be running the 5 and 10K at a new location. Uh, it actually will 
start at Lakeside Church and right and run around the, the parkway trails behind over by Folsom Lake College. Um, and, um, and then we have our Oakland run on November 5th and the San Diego run October 8th. Um, and anyone and everyone can also virtually run. So if you're in Iowa or you're in Texas or anywhere else, you can register to run any one of those three races um, and you can um, actually participate with us on that day in solidarity or we have a July 4th run that is a virtual run that people all over the world are going to be running Hmm. Um, and we're going to have a virtual run shirt for that so people already are registering for that um, run to be able to participate. And that goes to the third E which is engage Mm -hmm. and is that the the way that people engage with three strands is there other ways to engage with what you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. So we have, you know, one of the ways is through the races, the break free runs in the cities I talked about. Um, and they can volunteer, they can walk, they can run, they can um, virtually run. There's lots of different ways to participate with that. But we also have other events that we participate in there. Colton Dixon has been a great supporter of Three Strands. And from the stage, he's often um, talking about the bracelets. And uh, Matthew West is also, so we have different artists who've come alongside us. Um, and so people in those cities, as they hear, them seeing mill here and they can buy bracelets so that's another way to engage is to buy bracelets and then tell people the story um, of three strands and why it's important to um, combat human trafficking through employing survivors and the other way is we have a membership um, where people can become members of you know five dollars ten dollars twenty dollars a hundred or more um, monthly they can give and that helps us to continue doing what we're doing in the fight when it comes to all three E's of educating and employing and engaging. Um, so that's a really important one. Um, people sometimes think, oh, what is $5 do a month? But that's huge for us. And we have you know, members that um, really have helped sustain us. Um, and we are so grateful for those members. Yeah, and I know I always I have the bracelets on myself, and uh, I don't normally wear bracelets, but I think it is a great conversation starter. But it's also a great way to... To, to give a little something to know that it's going to somebody who's giving to others and equipping others. And it really is a, a team effort here. So encourage you guys all out there to check that out. And I want to end with a few questions just to hear what you've been learning lately. And I know in, in February you went to Cambodia mm-hmm. and I just want to hear from you, you know, someone who's doing most of your work domestically hands-on stuff, but to go and you've recently been able to, in your work with three strands, go to various parts of the world. What did you learn um, or what was confirmed in your thinking um, in your trip to Cambodia and what you saw there in Phnom Penh and in the surrounding areas? Yeah, that's a great question. I, you know, it was great to go because we have, as you know, we partner with AIM um, in Cambodia, Agape International Missions. And we have um, run for courage had given to aim for years and break free through the break free runs and three strands obviously had been giving to aim and um, supporting them and um, it was great to have boots on the ground and actually see the great work that we knew year over year has been happening. We've had people come, go, um, go and, and see the recovery um, as well as the restoration. And um, just to be able to see that firsthand really was so confirming and encouraging to my heart in so many ways. Don and Bridget Brewster have done an amazing job of building that ministry. And um, But I think one of the things, well, actually two, um, I, I it all was a confirmation of what I knew of good work happening going and being able to see the employment centers and specifically where the young women were making the bracelets. For me, that was, I mean, that, that just filled me up more than anything. Um, 
it really just gave me what I have always known for six years is that hope factor. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, For me, just being able to see them and stand there and watch them laugh and um, and engage with one another and making the bracelets, looking at the red seed and watching them put the red seed, which I know for us, as we tell the story here, um, is the value and the worth um, because, you know, those those husks are just burned and disregarded like they're worthless. But to watch them put and incorporate the seed into the bracelets as they're making them just was life filling in that place because it was hope in that spot. And that was one. And then the other, which so really relates to what we're talking about today is that um, AIM has a foster um, care place where they have taken littles, little littles, you know, mm-hmm. anywhere from you know, two or three and, and seven and eight. And one of the, there were probably 15 littles that I call that were there that we just sat with for um, a while and, and let them just run and play and just sat on the ground and just was sort of dogpiling, you know, with all these little kids, um, these little girls. Um, and for me, having, um, being a mom and adopted, you know, of adopted daughter who I just treasure and cherish so much to sit there in that place and have them climb all over me um, was again that prevention right in that space that these kids would be t- would be potentially um, prey or trafficked um, in some way shape or form but that in that spot they were safe um, and that the prevention piece of it just resonated with me um, that it's so important whether in Cambodia or anywhere in the world that that peace exists for those who have been abandoned or those who have been orphaned or those who are at risk and who are very vulnerable. Mm. Oh, this is, this is so good. I could go on and on, but uh, I know that our time has come to a close and uh, we have two more questions. The questions we ask all our, uh, all our guests and one of my uh, favorite parts of the show, cause I get to learn some great resources to be able to help my thinking but what is one thing, um, one or two things that you've uh, read or listened to recently that has most shaped your thinking about these issues? Yeah, I am. Um, you know, for me, as I just shared, I'm a, a mom of a beautiful um, Chinese daughter who I just love and adore. And one of the places that I get really great information is from Holt International. Um, and that's the agency that we actually adopted our daughter from. And um, they have a blog as well as um, different articles that they write on um, adoption and orphan care. And just recently they were talking about um, HIV positive kids in China um, and the plight of those children um, that they are just disposed of um, and thrown away and that they they are so vulnerable um, in so many ways. But sort of what are they doing in that place to address the needs of those children? And Holt is, you know, have they actually have um, different facilities just um, that are foster for those kids um, because they are disregarded. Even the young people who are um, HIV positive aren't given job opportunities. And if they do have a job, they're removed from their job. So really kind of helping me understand um, it within um, China what's happening when it comes to um, the orphan and adoptive kids that um, are struggling with HIV and and what happens um, in that um, in that countries particularly for them, um, and just made me think again uh, over and over. The word vulnerable comes up so much in the work that we do and in my life, and I think about. But that just the vulnerability of those kids. You know, I just kept thinking about the importance of us recognizing and being able to do something in that place to help those kids. So um, for me, that's you know, reading their blog and and the articles that they have are, are so important for me to kind of keep my finger on the pulse. 
for not only my daughter and from where she came in the country that she was birthed in, but also um, when it comes to combating trafficking as well as orphan care. And the last question, what, uh, what person has most shaped your thinking uh, in the area of orphan care? Yeah, and this one, I, actually, as you asked that question, I get all teary because I think um, for me, it's been my daughter. Um, she is, uh, she's my hero in so many, so many ways um, because I think in the place as she becomes a teen and she um, realizes the power of being an adoptee, but also the power of being loved. Um, and um, and what that means for her and her life and what she'll do and be, um, I just it has framed for me what um, orphan care and um, and and the needs, but also the possibilities too. Um, and she continues every day to um, shape my view um, and help me understand um, needs that much better, help me to understand um, what it means to be adopted. Um, Since I'm not adopted, I so desperately want to be able to um, have, you know, that connection, but at that place, I never will. But for her to have grace in that place to be, it's okay. And to help walk me through some of the feelings and emotions, um, it really helps me understand the whole grand scheme of things. Um, You know, what it means to um, to be loved and the importance of understanding value and worth. Um, so anyway, well, thanks so much, Ashley. And I, I, uh, I hope that everyone out there has learned just a little bit, um, from Ashley of, of some of the things that I've been able to learn a whole lot from her over the years. So thanks Ashley for this, uh, for your time and just for sharing, um, what you've been learning with, uh, with all of us. You bet. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. Well, I hope that you learned as much as I did in that interview and that you were encouraged and inspired to really see how you can educate people on this really difficult issue. And the thing about Ashley is she is so, um, she has so much experience in places and in interviewing people and being able to talk with people that uh, you and I really don't get the chance to. And as I said during the interview, probably wouldn't take the chance even if we had the opportunity. So Kelly, what what uh, did you really glean from that interview and what really stuck out to you? Well, there were a couple things that stood out to me. And the first one is probably just the point of view of the trafficker and how they approach um, victims or potential victims as far as looking for what makes a person vulnerable and what makes a person stick out because of that vulnerability and really makes them open to uh, to being trafficked. And as a mom, that's always something that you, I want to be aware of and something I want to educate my kids on. And, and just also how that flows into uh, just the, the foster care issue and how when a lot of these kids are aging out of foster care, they are, I mean, you might as well put a capital V on their head for vulnerable and not having a family or a support system around them that can really continue to speak identity into them, that can continue to support them. And it just makes them willing and ready for um, a trafficker to come in and, and exploit those vulnerabilities. Yeah. And that's something that I, you know, we've talked so much about on the show, the interconnectedness of this stuff and, you know, to just see how we need to speak that truth, that identity formation, that discipleship that continues, not just global, like in foreign countries in some developed world, but in our backyard. I mean, this was literally in our backyard in Northern California, in the suburbs that 
Ashley was talking about a Safeway store in El Dorado Hills, California, which is the suburb of suburbs, and a girl was trafficked out of that parking lot. And it just really brings it into focus that if a child is vulnerable, if a child does not truly believe um, the truths about their identity, man, like you said, the capital V, that it's just so, it's such a huge target. And I think that Ashley, with the education, it's so exciting to see how she is able to go into schools and speak that truth into people, into these children who are, you know, really probably have never heard of this stuff, most of, most of them. And so to be able to speak that truth is just an awesome thing. Absolutely. And I just think it, it really highlights the fine line between um, educating our kids and wanting to protect our kids, but understanding that education in an age-appropriate way is going to be extremely beneficial to tackle this issue moving forward. Yeah. And so I just... I think there are so many great resources that people can go grab on the, on, and we'll put those on the show notes. Um, and I just look forward to seeing how this show can help get Ashley and Three Strands and the work they're doing out into the schools a little bit more. And hopefully we can really start fighting this um, at the ground level. Um, so it hopefully won't um, be as big of an issue in a couple decades. And so I, I look forward to, to seeing how, again, the impact and uh, for you out there to be able to engage what Three Strands is doing at their website and, and elsewhere. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us this week. And we look forward to hearing your comments. And please remember to go rate and review our podcast on iTunes. See you next week. We hope you've enjoyed today's Think Orphan podcast. For all the information in this week's podcast, please visit us at thinkorphan.com. You too can be part of the conversation. Send your questions to info at thinkorphan.com or join us on the Think Orphan Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again on the next edition of Think Orphan.